Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This podcast connects people affected by a blood cancer to resources that inform, support, educate, and empower. When it comes to cancer, it's hard to navigate the unknown, and there are no easy answers. We're here to bring you the information you need to help make sense of every step of the blood cancer experience. My name is Montana Skirka, and I will be your host for today's episode. As a survivor of childhood leukemia, I am passionate about guiding others on their health journey as an integrative wellness educator. I work with individuals of all ages, teaching yoga and meditation, health coaching, leading wellness workshops, and podcasting, writing, and speaking out about the importance of a holistic approach to physical and mental health challenges. Today on the show, I am talking to Cynthia Goshen. Cynthia was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2013. Since then, she has graduated from university with a kinesiology degree and now works as a kinesiologist. Cynthia loves being surrounded by friends and family. She also loves drawing and sewing in her free time. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada has played an important role in Cynthia's blood cancer experience, and she hopes by working with this community, she can help make somebody else's cancer journey a little easier. Thank you, Cynthia, for coming today. I'm so happy to talk to you. Hello. I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. So, Cynthia, I know that you were quite young when you were diagnosed with cancer. Can you tell us how old you were and what that experience was like? Like, how were you diagnosed? Yeah, um, I was 14 at the time, but I had pain in my knee for a year before that. So I guess I was 13 years old when I first started getting symptoms. So yeah, I had knee knee pain for an entire year. It affected my walking, playing sports. I just was extremely uncomfortable all the time. I was popping ibuprofen, putting um, Voltaren all over my knee, like bathing in it, um, just trying to just get a relief from this pain because it was so bad at times. But after a year, I ended up going to a doctor that kind of took my pain seriously just because everyone thought it was growing pain because I was in that age group where people do experience growing pain. So it that was realistic, but I could tell the difference between it. But I finally went to a doctor and she realized how much pain I was in and tested my range of motion. And then right when she saw the excruciating pain that was caused by just moving my knee towards my chest, she said I needed to get an MRI. And then I got the MRI done, I think a few days later. And at the MRI, they asked me to stay, which I I was pretty naive, so I actually didn't think too much of it, but I, my mom was freaking out, and I remember her texting my dad, and he was freaking out, and they asked for an x-ray, which was kind of, I guess it was kind of weird, because MRIs usually can give you a good rundown of what's going on. I got the x-ray, and then after a few days, I heard that I needed to get a biopsy done. Of course, I didn't really know what that was, but I got a biopsy done in my right knee. And that was, I guess, the first surgery that I went through for this whole process. And then from that biopsy, they discovered that it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There was a fear that it was bone cancer since it was found inside my bone. So before that, I actually, somebody even asked, someone texted me one day and asked me, I heard you had bone cancer. And this is before I even thought cancer was 
an option. Like I said before, I was extremely naive. And I remember being like, like what? Like mom, dad, what? Is this, like, I didn't, what? <laughs> just, how, why, how did they even I don't, come to I that? don't know. I think people saw me on crutches and saw me with like the, like the wrapping around my knee after that surgery. And I don't know, I guess people just had speculations and they just kind of guessed, which is never right. But at the same time, we were very young. So I don't, I, right. I don't want her to, one. yes, I, we talked about it afterwards and everything. I was just like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Don't ask me about cancer. The, I don't even know what I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but after the biopsy and stuff, they ended up diagnosing me with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So when the doctors first told me that, when my main doctor told me, I honestly, so they said non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I didn't mm-hmm. know that was a type of cancer. So right. I was just like, still naive being like, well, well I mean, okay. it's also you're, it's, it's normal. Like you're, yeah, right? you're so young. How would you know any of that? Right. And it's not like you're learning these specific types of cancer in school. I feel like that you like hear like not more common, but brain cancer or breast cancer and just these non-specifics types. So when I heard the specific thing, I was just like, Oh, what am I going to do? Like get a surgery for it? Like, and are they going to give me like some pills and I'll be fine. And then he's kept on going and just ended up saying like, this is a type of cancer. And that's when it kind of like hit me. And I was like, okay. And then he started going on about how I would lose my hair. And I feel like that is when I realized what it was because not the, I think for me, like when you think cancer, especially at such a young age, you correlate it with no hair and your hair falling out. And those were the two things I connected it. And not that I cared. I really, I didn't care about my hair, but since that made it so real, that's when I started crying. And I was like, Oh no, like, I really don't care. Like I remember bawling my eyes out and being like, guys, I really don't care about my hair. But like, now it just makes sense. It's making, I feel like this is real now. So that's when I broke down. And then he went on to explain what the process was and how I was going to be an inpatient so that also kind of scared me because I was going to be taken out of school and I wasn't going to be able to see my family as much, which are such a huge part of my life. And I was in grade nine too. So I was like excited for grade nine grad. I was excited for like the future. And it was just a big year to be missing in my head. Um, but anyway, he told me how I was going to be in the 24-7, probably receiving chemo. And if I wasn't receiving chemo, I was going to be just recouping from the chemo and getting my counts back up. Then he went on to tell me about the port. He brought in a doll and showed me where the port was going to go in my chest and what it was going to look like and what they're going to have to. And of course that freaked me out because getting a needle in your chest never sounds appealing. No. Or so this was all in one conversation this when you were diagnosed? in one sitting. I remember sitting, what room I was sitting in. I remember my parents there and I remember my aunt was there. And they just, they, they gave it to me. And honestly, it was the best. He was, he's one of the best doctors I've ever dealt with. He was, he's a great guy. Um, so I, I do appreciate how he explained everything to me, but it was a lot. And it's a lot for anyone, especially a young person. Yeah. And they were just like, okay, we're going to get the surgery. I think it was like a day or two later. And then after that is when I'm going to be put into the hospital. 
That's a lot to digest. So yeah, so that was the beginning. That was the that was the go, the start of the race. Oh man. Well, there's a lot to dig into there, but I mean, I'm really curious even before that, like you for one year are experiencing severe pain in your knee that's impacting you and people aren't necessarily taking it seriously for, like you said, it makes sense that a young girl would be going through growing pains, but that must've been incredibly frustrating for you. Like what was that year like of being in pain and no one taking it seriously? Yeah, it was crazy. There was an encounter and I had like, I've got a knee brace from like, I don't know where. I also had chest so sternum pain and we thought it was from posture. So I actually started going to physiotherapy because of that. They're like, because no one could figure out. I had like a lump on my chest right here, like in the middle of my chest. And we were like, what's that from? Like, what is it? And nobody could tell us. So we ended up doing physio. It never ended up really helping. I continued to have that pain in my chest. So we kind of forgot about that. And then the knee started happening more. And I remember hearing that sometimes, I guess some doctors thought it was all in my head. They thought that I had a low pain tolerance. And I was just like, that's not fair. Like, I know the difference between, and you, once you go through it, you will know, you know, the difference between knee pain and like growing pain. And then something that's more, and we knew it was something that's more. And I also, during this time, I lost a lot of weight and I never thought about it. I just stopped having an appetite, but people started being like, what's wrong? Like, why are you losing this much weight? Like somebody asked if I was having eating problems. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm fine. Like I felt fine, but I was just had nothing. I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I I imagine that if you are in severe pain all the time, you would not be necessarily hungry. Yeah. And I guess it was just weird because I never noticed it. I just remember people commenting on my weight and being like, oh my gosh, you're so small. What happened? And then it ended up, I started limping because of the pain in my knee. And I was always really slow because of that pain. And I used to be like very energetic. I still am super energetic and stuff. And my, we ended up in like, I remember in grade nine, I like developed the nickname Sloth. We just like all had like animal nicknames, but like mine was sloth because I was like slow. And this whole time you were, you were dealing with cancer and you had no idea. I had cancer in my body. I never even knew. And I remember it was, this was right when I was, I remember it was uh, basketball tryouts and I played basketball my entire life. So I was so excited to try out. And I remember my knee being in so much pain and the, I was Uh, on the basketball team for like grade seven and grade eight. So they knew I could play. Um, But I remember like the coach being like, it's okay. You don't have to like try out. You can just like kind of help us at tryouts because of like your knee pain. And I was like, oh my gosh, don't worry. I have an appointment coming up of an MRI. We're going to figure it out. Me, me being like super optimistic. I'm like, I'm going to be back. Don't worry about it. Like I'll be back in no time. (laughs) But then that's when everything changed. So. Right. Yeah. So you have this, pretty monumental intense conversation with the oncologist I assume who had laid out this whole he essentially told you everything Mm -hmm. and do you think that that was the right move Um, were you appreciative of that or was that too much I honestly I think it was the right move I think that if I didn't handle it in the same way I did I feel like he probably would have been like okay do you need a second and he did he was like do you need time like do you need like have any questions? And I remember I dealt with it pretty well. Like 
in those situations, at least for me, it was like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm just going to listen and I'm going to take this in because it's happening. It's not like I can rewind and start over. It's like, this is what it is. So I just remember asking questions, asking like what it's going to be like, asked if this was hereditary, like if this was something that like my children might one day have issues with. And it wasn't, thank, thank God it, um, it wasn't, he could answer that. So I didn't have to worry about that, but I don't know. It was just, it, it was quite a lot, but I think I was able to handle it. And I don't really regret how he explained it to me. Wow. And so yeah. your life just completely changed in that one moment. Yeah, it changed. Yeah, for me, it changed a lot. But then I'm always the type to like care more about my family and about other people's feelings than my own feelings. So when I remember when they told my siblings, they were really upset. But I was like, it's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Like, trying it's to make gonna them feel right. better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was trying to comfort them because I was like, I'm going to be fine. Like, I know I'm going to be fine, but you guys got to believe that I'm going to be fine. Right. What about your parents? Um, my parents took it extremely hard, of course, because I'm their little baby. And I think them seeing me in so much pain and like just like this extreme agony for an entire year, I think it was reassuring that there was now a diagnosis, but I don't think it's any easier that the diagnosis was cancer. They went through a lot. My dad went through a lot because he couldn't be in the hospital with me by my side. He had to take care of my other siblings. And then my mom went through a lot because she was in the hospital with me trying to keep up on everything, on the medicines that I was taking, the chemo, like the treatment. So it was hard, but um, they stayed extremely strong. I think that that's, you know, it's an important thing to bring up is like just how much this impacts everyone in the family, right? Everybody. it, yeah, I mean, I was the same. Like, I the same in terms of not really wanting other people to be upset and putting on a brave face. And also, um, when you're talking about how it kind of disrupts, like, the family. Like, I remember my mom would stay with me during the day, and then my dad would come at night, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that was them every day. Like, trying to juggle having other kids and having whatever other normal life they have. And yeah. kind of having to put everything on hold, right? Right. I'm so appreciative of that, but that must've been a lot. Yes, for sure. But I know like our parents are our biggest, I feel like they're the biggest superheroes ever in both of our situations, at least. Absolutely. No, for sure. And it, yeah, it's really interesting that you were more worried about like your siblings being upset than the fact that you were actually dealing with this. Yeah. I just didn't, because I knew, I knew from the beginning like looking back on it, of course it's different, but I knew I was going to be okay. Just, mm-hmm. I had a feeling and I knew like, even if I wasn't going to be okay, I'm going to make it for now. It's going to be okay. We'll go, we'll go every day. And where do you think that comes from? Like that sense of I, I optimism? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. I think I've just always kind of been like that. I like, I don't know, maybe it's just being middle child and always like, I don't know. Like I, I feel like I just always cared about other people's feelings and making keeping people happy and I don't want people to stress out about me like I can Mm. take not that I can take care of myself but I can deal with it and I don't need like I do need the support but I don't want you to feel like you need to give me that support right yeah Yeah, like you don't want the pity yeah and I just want everyone to be like on the same page I want us to all be like we can do this we're gonna do this together I don't want anyone feeling sad for me I never wanted that. I just wanted us 
to be like strong altogether because I knew like that was a way that we were going to get through this if mm-hmm. none of us were like none of us were going to be left behind on like the side train we all had to go ahead and we had to like take this on and conquer it so then you start in person treatment yeah and what was that like that was I remember the first time and I like getting in the hospital and like seeing our hospital room and seeing where I was going to be like living it was it was different it's it's a huge change you go from being independent like going being in your own bedroom like living your life going to school to being stuck in this little room with neighbors that everyone going through different treatment with babies crying with people mm-hmm. getting prodded and poked and it was it's people checking up on you getting your vitals taken every four hours getting your finger poked at six in the morning getting your mm-hmm. blood work done every single day like I remember looking at my fingers and being like look how raw they are just from getting those finger pokes um but I knew like when I got there I was like okay this is gonna be this is gonna be fine yeah I think that like being in a hospital is it's a traumatic place obviously to mm-hmm. be right and the environment of it and I think especially if you're like an empathetic person who cares about other people like you've already mentioned you're someone who really is aware of how other people feel and want people to be okay I don't know for me I found like every time I was in the hospital it was just it's hard to be around that much suffering and that much pain and to be living there and like your whole life is listening to the IVs and like you said listening to the babies crying and it can be it can be a hard place to honestly heal, I find. It is like, and it's weird because I always had a great relationship with the hospital, with the IWK. Um, I, I don't know why. I just always wanted to volunteer there. I always wanted, like I was waiting till I was 18 so I could be volunteering in the playroom. And like, this was even before I got diagnosed. I really wanted to do that. I have wow. no idea why, but I just had that desire to like I really like I love like working with children and I just wanted to be able to like kind of like make their day get them excited I would always like donate things just I don't know like I just always had that connection so being the patient there and being on like the other end of it was kind of weird and yeah and I know they try to make like children hospital like the happiest places mm-hmm. but it feels like when you're in it it just kind of feels like very black and white like I feel like when I'm like thinking about it I'm just like being in that room being in that room and just like seclude like yeah you're like basically like secluded and you're even though you can walk around and stuff it's that that's it you can walk around the floor maybe if you're feeling good if not you're stuck on that bed you're stuck in that bed with your little tv and that's about it and that's it yeah I know I you're bringing up like I'm also hearing your story just being reminded of times being in the hospital and it really is so difficult. And I think another part of, of it, and I wonder if you can relate to this, is like, like you said, it's kind of, it changes your identity, right? Because one minute you are a girl who is a sibling, who's a student, who's going to school and doing all your other stuff. And then when you're in a hospital, like you're just a patient, like every other part of you is stripped away. Yeah. Right. It was like, that was it. And like, I've, and at this point, like, this is what, like, when I was probably at my worst, like, my, I just got all those scans done. Like, I got bone density scans and um, CAT scans. I did all of those scans, and I realized, like, I had no muscle mass and no bone density in my right leg, the leg that was affected. So, walking was even, like, an issue. And, like, 
they were scared that I was, if I fell, they were scared that I could break my leg immediately mm. just because there was nothing left. So I felt like, I just felt like there wasn't really anything for me to do. Like other than right. just sit there and be that patient. Um, obviously that's not how I think I came across. Like I tried to be the positive self, but that's definitely what it felt like. Yeah, I think oftentimes there can be such a big difference between like how we're actually feeling and what we're experiencing, especially if we're used to being people pleasers, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone, even my family knew how hard it was for me when I was going through what I was going through. To be honest, I don't even think I understood how hard it was. Right? You don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, it's like been years and years and years later where I'm kind of realizing like all the mental effects of what I went through and how it has affected me because yeah, you want to put on that brave face and like, that's kind of how you get through it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's like a lot of processing that happens when, um, you know, when, when you're, when your identity is taken away and when your autonomy is taken away and, um, and all that pain. And I also wonder like, if you feel anger or if you felt anger at the doctors for like misdiagnosing you, not listening to you. And if you ever got an apology or any sort of, I don't know. Um, Resolution of that. Yeah. I think there was some resentment, especially towards one doctor. There were, I guess we got her notes after, after the prop, like after my cancer experience. And one of her notes said after an x-ray, I got like, I think a year before my knee pain, something like that, either a year before my knee pain or a few months before my knee pain um, or even during my knee pain. I don't remember exactly when it was but it said further investigation required and there never was further investigation. It was a good diagnosis. There was a cure. I had nothing to be hateful about. So I, it just wasn't something that I ever like looked back on, but it is something that I'm just like, you know what? Sometimes you just have to be way more, you have to be more careful and you have to Really, if I didn't have my parents, I would not, I think I don't know what would have happened. They advocated for me the entire way, the entire way. And I feel like, and I feel like that's just a whole nother topic, having that someone to advocate for yourself, even during the cancer process, you need somebody on your side. You need somebody like taking those notes, looking out for you, making sure everything's going right. Yeah, it's, it's a job to be a patient. It's in our system. It's like really important that we're on top of things. And like you said, and it's like, it's when we're at our weakest, right? And we want to understand what's going on. We want to be on top of it. We want to like have agency, like over some part of our life. And it's, it's really hard to put your life in the hands of these people who are often incredible, but sometimes like miss things like all humans do. Exactly. Right? It's, it's, and, it's and human nature. Like, it's human nature. Totally. It's human nature. And it, but it's like, I think that's one of the hardest things for me to work through is like just a lot of anger and pain around ways that I felt I was treated when I was younger. And I think it's because the power differential is so vast and because you're so powerless and because it affects your life so deeply that like every little thing is, is just a, it's a big deal, you know, it's life and death. And you were younger, like you were younger than me. You're probably half my age. Like I can't imagine your thought process and I can't imagine what you did. Cause I was a teenager. Like I, I understood, but like being you, how old did you say you were? 
I was seven when I was diagnosed. Um, And like, I think I was too young to really fully grasp what was going on. But I will say, like when you were saying before that, you know, when they told you your hair was going to fall out, you were like, oh, I don't care. I mean, I feel like for me, especially as I transitioned into like a young, like a a preteen, I guess, at 11, 12, I feel like the not having the hair and the gaining weight on steroids, like that stuff really hit me hard. I actually was called like we had an I had an oncologist that was joking around and called me Jelly Belly, and like that, it may as well have been that she like beat me with a stick. You know what I mean? Like it was super, yeah. And even just the way that you're weighed when you go to the hospital, and the way that they kind of tell you how you're overweight or make you feel like some sort of I don't know diseased awful yeah blowing up thing rather than a little girl who's like trying to navigate her way in the world you know and like has to leave the hospital and then try and fit in with her peers and stuff um that stuff I think that did really affect me and honestly I think I would have been the exact same way if I were wasn't an inpatient because I guess I never thought about it that way I was in the hospital nobody saw me except my family and I know sometimes I was like not embarrassed but I was like it's it's different you will go from the losing hair to like you said the weight gain with all of those steroids and just all the fluid you're getting pumped into your body I remember like looking at myself my cheeks were huge everything was huge some of the chemo that I got affected my teeth and I remember having my teeth even though I was brushing them just they look dirty and like there's just like gunk and stuff and it's like there's nothing I could do like you feel like you're at the bottom you feel like you're at the pit and you're just like and especially being a teenager I think it was just like so I cut my hair my hair was down to my bum when I first got diagnosed I had really long hair really long and thick hair and then when I got diagnosed I cut it because I was like this is not going to be fun when it falls out so I cut it to a little pixie cut and I remember even when it was falling out it was everywhere it was all over my pillows whatever and it started getting I was like should I brush it because I know knew if I brushed it there was going to be a lot coming out and I remember one day I brushed it, get those big clumps out. And then I remember how patchy it looked. And I was like, oh my God. And I remember, I feel, I forgot someone was crying. I get, I, it must've been a family member. Someone was just like, oh my gosh. Cause like, it, like, I feel like it signifies like pain and like, it's like, like, it's a chemo. And I remember like, it's okay. Like, I just look funny. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I just, like, I was trying to make myself feel better. And then also them feel better. And I was just like, don't worry about it. It's whatever. Like, it's not a big deal. I don't know. It's crazy how much like the physical aspect of it weighs on you and like affects it, you. Absolutely. I mean, I think especially like as a teen girl and like especially living in this culture, like you're going through all this and social media, as I assume already. Happened. It was it was starting to like come up social media and stuff like Snapchat, I think became a thing when I was in the hospital. I think I got Snapchat after that and Vine was becoming a thing. Um, it was it was different. And I remember one of my nurses was telling me she had, they had a patient that they covered all the mirrors in the bathroom and everything. Cause they didn't want to look at themselves. And I was just like, wow. I don't think I'm at that point. Like I was like, you know what? This is me. And this is how I'm going to be right now. So I'm going to make it work because there's nothing I can do. So even though I look funny and my cheeks are huge and I feel disgusting, there's nothing I can do about this. So might as well just like, be confident, wear my little cap, 
put on my pink hat and be happy with it. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like back to this optimism that you seem to carry with yourself. It seems like that's been a really important part of your journey. It has like positivity is one of the things that whenever I do speak at like events or anything, it's mostly about positivity and like the benefits of it and just like the psychological and physical effects it has and how it kind of like helps with coping skills and stress. And I just knew from the beginning, I think I mentioned it, like I knew nothing being grumpy and being in a sassy little mood wasn't going to help me here. And of course I had my time. Everyone's going to have their time of being that when you're getting chemo for literally a week straight, 24 hours of the day, no one's going to be in a good mood. I, I like that was probably like one of like the worst moments feeling that disgusting and obviously I was going to be snarky and obviously I was going to be short with everybody but I knew that that's not gonna it wasn't gonna help me to be upset and feel bad for myself so I feel like that's where I took like I took it head on and I like developed like resilience through like this positivity I tried not to like dwell on my frustrations And I just, I don't know, I like developed a few things like self-talk and just being like, I can do this, like we can do this day by day. I feel like I definitely like developed humor. Like I feel like I deal with a lot of things through humor, which probably isn't the best idea, but I deal with like sad situations through taking it too easy. I feel like sometimes I take things too easily and too positively that it might not be the best, but it works for me and it works in my brain at least to make things work. Yeah. And I mean, I think humor is like a beautiful coping mechanism, right? And it seems to me like a lot of comedians or people that are really funny have really hard things that they've been through. And it's been a technique that they've learned to use to like get them through things, right? Oh, yeah. I feel like even when I like, so I developed all these things like when I was in the hospital, but when I was in school, I was obviously learning about like health topics. And I never even realized, like, I remember reading a study and there was like a correlation between, um, negative emotions and weakened immune system and I was like oh maybe like my positivity and having the good like attitude helped with my recovery because I did recover very quickly so I was like maybe there's a correlation but I also was like listening to the doctors and stuff and that kind of goes to like my goal setting thing that I would do in the hospital but um so that was fun to read and be like oh maybe that helped me in the hospital when I was there yeah and it sounds like you kind of intuitively were able to develop these skills I don't even know how you did because it's like (laughs) I can't think of any harder place to start to be like I'm gonna start to talk to myself well right be nice to myself (laughs) like then being stuck in a hospital but it sounds like it was kind of like that was the way that you were like gonna get through it right so you're like I may as well start being nice to myself because I'm in a hard situation and that's really hard it's really hard like I teach people how to start talking nice to themselves. And it's so, so counterintuitive for people to be nice to themselves, you know? It's crazy. And like, even my sports psychology classes, like the benefit of like self-talk and like being like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to get this basket in. It helps. It, there, There's research that shows it helps. So like, it's, I'm, I guess I'm like giving myself like young Cynthia a pat on the back and being like, good job for like putting this out there and putting that energy into that hospital room and putting it into my head because if I sat in that bed I know for a fact if I sat for in that bed and it was like Cynthia this sucks you're never going to get better you're missing out on so many things right now being stuck in this hospital 
like that would have not went well that like I can only imagine how that would have went I think that would have been miserable for the doctors the nurses and for my family I think it would make much more work for everyone so I'm so happy with how I took it and how I decided to like take this process mm-hmm yeah, and I think, but I think it's also really important to allow yourself sometimes to be sad and to oh, yes. grieve, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that balance. It is definitely a balance, and like I'm speaking about all this like positivity, but like I said, oh my god, there's times that I was angry. There's times that I was getting visitors that I did not want to be there in my room with me. Like I just wanted my family to get out of the room. I wanted, and it's hard when you're when you, people just want to love you and people just want to show you that affection, it's so hard to be like, I don't want that. I don't want that right now. Like, and it's only good days that they can come in and your immune system's high. So like, they're trying to take advantage of the situation. They're like, let's visit, like, let's come over. But it's like, no, I feel like vomiting. I am upset. I'm just having a bad day. Get out of my room. I, and I couldn't show that because I did it. I felt bad. I felt bad. I didn't want to just be there and I didn't want to kick them out. So I dealt with it, but there are, there's a roller coaster of emotions when you're going through something like that. Of course. So I want to hear more about the school setting and why it's important and how you went about it. So essentially you were missing, like this was during your grade nine year. So you had missed, you were missing two months of school um, and we're put in the hospital. So what types of goals did you set and how did that help you? Yeah. So I like positivity, I guess. I, um, never knew the benefit until I was in university and I was learning about goal setting. Um, but I, without even realizing it, I set goals for myself. Like I remember talking to my mom and I was like, you know what, let's set goals because they gave me a timeline. They said I can be out of the hospital between three to six months. That's a huge difference. It's half a year and then three months. So I was like, let's figure something out. I want something to look forward to and something to work towards. So I said, like, I want to be out for my grade nine grad because that's a big deal. And you have a dance. And this was like one of the first years I think they were going to do a dance for my school or something or a celebration. And I was like, I want to be there. I want to be there with my friends. So that was one of them. And then, then another one was um, this festival for my church. Um, I was like, I want to be there, like this Lebanese festival. Like, I want to be there. Like, that's so exciting. I used to go to it every year. And then the third one was going to my cousin Stephanie's prom. She was graduating from grade 12, and I really wanted to be there for her. So those were kind of like goals that I set, long-term goals. And then I had like the short-term goals that I was going to do to achieve this greater goal so I decided that in the hospital there are few things you have control of as you know like there's there's not many things that you can control but the things that you can control are like what you eat what you drink when you use a bathroom throwing up I guess could be controllable maybe not but those were things that I knew in my power that I could do. So I like would drink as much water and fluid as they told me that I needed to. I would eat as much as I could if I felt the urge. When you're in these situations, obviously, as most people know, you feel like throwing up when you're being pumped with a bunch of medicine and you feel disgusting. It's a very common occurrence. But I told myself I was my like saying was mind over matter, mind over matter. 
And I tr like tried to keep everything in because if anything was coming out of my body, those were the nutrients I was going to lose that the doctors needed me to take. So I was like, no, I'm going to do all this. I worked with a physiotherapist for a little bit, I believe, at the beginning. I was like, I'm going to do her exercises, what they gave me. Those, all, all those things were in my power and were in my control. So I decided those were what I was going to do. So every, every week, that's what I was doing. I was trying. I would try to do everything that I could just to reach these goals. So those were what I did. And I think that that's how I kept control of the situation. And that's how I dealt with it. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I feel like those things helped me from not getting overwhelmed. And yeah, it just helped me with my day-to-day -day life. No, I love that. I love the idea of just being like, okay, how can I feel a little bit of power and autonomy in my life here? Mm -hmm. How can I feel like I'm actually doing things to make me feel better day by day? And like the idea of having things to look forward to is is really smart too, because it's because our identity is stripped from us when we're in a hospital and because we can just almost, I feel like there's so many times where I just forgot who I even was. Like yeah. if someone asked me who I was, it was like, I was so used to just saying all the medical stuff because, mm -hmm. you know, we have to keep repeating your medical history to doctors and nurses that like, I'm like, who else am I? Like, that's Other all I am, right? So to be like, oh, wait, I'm also someone who can go to grad and who can go to parties and who's yeah. Lebanese and who has a church and who has a whole other life outside of, of yeah. this. It, like, it made me look at like the bigger picture and look at like what I was getting myself into after this and what I was looking forward to. And right. like now, after going through my degree, I learned about the benefits of goal setting and how it like increases motivation, the sense of control like meaning direction and um just like productivity which I realized in school like helped me so much just having like a to-do list and goals for every week that completely changed my entire university experience and being able to cross that thing off the list and being like okay I'm one step closer to finishing my things for today and just having looking back now um it, I realized, so like, I don't know, you know, smart goals. Mm -hmm. So like smart goals, like specific, measurable, achievable, realistic time. I learned that, but then I never realized my goals, I feel like were kind of in the range of smart goals without yeah. even knowing, like it wasn't, they weren't unrealistic. I could like measure them. They were achievable. It wasn't like I was saying like, I'm going to be cured in a week. They were like very realistic. And I, I'm like, so I guess, happy with myself that I was able to do that <laughs> without even knowing. Um, right. Because I think it was a huge part of my duration in the hospital. And I think like that's what got me out of there. I think that like goal setting with the positivity were like the two, and of course the team, the doctors, of course, all the physicians and nurses and everything, like all of those combined made for my like speedy recovery. I love that. And what was it like for you, like just socially? So at the beginning, I remember I wasn't like doing too many crazy chemos. So my immune system wasn't too, it wasn't super plummeted. I remember my friends visited me like once in the hospital. Then after that, it was just like texting. Like I couldn't, there was really no one able to see me other than my family um, at that point, because you don't want to risk anything when your immune system's like very, very low and all of your cell blood cells are down but after that of course like when I was like going through remission and my blood counts were still low I wasn't able to really see anybody at my house but after all of that I think it was 
it was different going back into like the social aspect of everything. Um, being surrounded by a lot of people being like, Oh, you can't hug me. Don't hug me. Like stay, like don't come too close. That was now thinking about it with COVID. Like that's yeah, super normal. Sounds like, yeah. It sounds um, like everything you're talking about sounds very reminiscent of what yeah. everyone's experiencing right now. But my friends throughout the entire process were like there with me the, through texts and everything. And I'm just forever grateful for that. And like, I had, I have the pad and have the best friends ever always checking up on me. I was super grateful for having that support system. That wasn't just my family. Yeah. That's incredible. And like, it is so helpful because I think for some people, the experiences, it can be kind of awkward, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of alienating and isolating, especially even coming back. And I don't know, I think I always felt a little embarrassed that I was like, the cancer kid even if that isn't even how people saw me it was like how I thought people saw me Mm -hmm. and I think I was kind of embarrassed about being sick honestly and yeah I I know exactly what you mean and it's like I feel like when I I think I remember going to school to get my things before I got my treatment so I just cut my hair so I had the little pixie cut and everyone I think at this point at school knew what I was going through because I think they told my classmates just so they knew, like, I wouldn't be attending for the rest of the semester or a year or whatever. And I think going through the halls and stuff and knowing that everybody knew what I was going about to go through, it felt a bit weird. Like, and I know there's nothing wrong. And I knew there was like nothing wrong with going, like having cancer and having, it feels weird even saying the word sometimes, like saying the C word. I used to not say it. Um, yeah. I, I used to be like, don't say it. Cause it's such a big, strong word. It is um, a strong word. But um, yeah, I felt, I don't know. I think that it was, and especially when you lose your hair, I guess you, people assume you have cancer. And I, after I left the hospital, I think I knew that people were like looking at me differently and they would see like the um, port um, mm-hmm. on my chest if I was wearing like a tank top. And I think, and I remember once somebody like looked at me and they like pointed to the airport and they're like, me too. Wow. So it is kind of cool in that aspect wow. that you're like, oh my gosh, like there's other people here like feeling the same way that I'm feeling. And like, do you feel like you came back different in any way or that you learned or gained anything from that experience? Um, great question. I feel like... I definitely like this, this might be cheesy, but I felt stronger. Like I definitely felt just more, I just felt mentally stronger. Like, like when you go through something, I guess you realize I am capable of so much more than I give myself credit for. I just went through like this three, two, three month treatment of getting these chemicals pumped into my body. And I still kept a positive attitude. I, did school. I did like school from my hospital bed. I got testing done every single week. I got scans done. I was poked. I was two needles were put into my chest every week. Like you don't realize how much you can do until you go through it. And I think I was just kind of proud. Like I was like, you know what? I'm going to get stressed over things and I'm going to be taking things day by day. But I just have to realize I'm, I can do so much more if I just keep my head up and I, if I, if I give myself time, I'm, I will be able to like conquer whatever comes at me. And I think it definitely made me grateful as well. I was so grateful. Like I was grateful with 
the age that I was at when I got diagnosed because I was aware of what's happening. I was in control of certain aspects of my life. I, I was able to understand what was happening. But there was like in the bedrooms next door, there's babies, there's toddlers that don't know anything. What's why they're getting hurt, why their people are coming at them with needles and why they're in so much pain. And I, so I don't know, I guess I realized all my, all the things that I was thankful for and everything that I was so happy to have, like my family, I was lucky that my mom was able to stay with me every single day. I was able to get some home cooked meals on certain days. And I just realized how lucky I was in that situation and just in general. Sometimes people can pity you when you Mm -hmm. tell people you've been through cancer and like, it really can leave you with this sense of gratitude of realizing like when you're in a hospital, when you see how bad it can get, it's like, wow, like look at all I have. And then when you return back to it, like I remember looking outside of a hospital window once and just being like, I can't imagine being one of those people that's just like grocery shopping or getting errands. I mean, I feel like that again with COVID. (laughs) 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 But you know, it's like, I still find myself just doing little things and being like, wow, like I never even knew if I'd be able to do this again. Yeah. Um, So I think that that's a beautiful lesson for everyone is to just, there's always something to be grateful for, you know? And also, yeah, how strong you are, right? And just again, being like, oh, if I went through that, I can get through anything. Like, what could be scarier than that, right? I know, I have to remind myself that sometimes. Like I know during school, I was like, hmm. It didn't do well on tests. That's okay. I've been through worse. It's hell- as long as I'm healthy. Um, <laughs> I feel like that was my mentality. But um, even and during work and stuff now too, I'm like, Cynthia, you can do this. A little stress is not going to kill you. You just have to breathe. Let's regroup. We can do this. You've been through worse. I love that. The self-talk. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. The, <laughs> and the goal setting and all of that is coming in handy. And so now you are fully cured and vibrant and happy and healthy and you are helping out with the leukemia and lymphoma society of canada and you're also working as a kinesiologist so you're really dedicating yourself to helping people and i would love to hear more about that and like what drew you to it and why you're doing it and how that's been yeah since uh, i started in university i've been volunteering at the iwk as well trying to give back to the hospital that was able to change my life like I said, before I was even diagnosed, I wanted to volunteer there. It's so great to get back and be able to see familiar faces and like go down to like the sixth floor and be like, hi guys, like, how are you guys doing? See some doctors, see some nurses. Um, and then like, yeah, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society has been a huge part of my life since I was diagnosed actually, or so since 2013, I've been a part of the walks, which has been the light the night walks, which have been so much fun and it's something to look forward to every year. I've been working as a kinesiologist since I graduated in May so we're coming up on almost a year now um so that's been pretty awesome it's been really really nice just being able to use my degree um and staying in kind of like the healthcare field working with like physiotherapists, massage therapists, psychologists, uh, occupational therapists it's just been really nice to like get my future started and um so I'm super thankful for that and hoping that I go back to school to do physiotherapy um one day um so we'll see we'll see where life takes me but I definitely want to stay in the healthcare, trying to help keep people happy field so thank you so much and I'm really happy that I got to talk to you today 
No, this has been awesome. I'm so happy that we got to talk. I'm so happy that I met you. You seem like such a great person. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If listeners have any questions about caregiving for someone with a blood cancer or need support navigating your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community services manager in your region. Visit bloodcancers.ca to connect with us. Thank you to Telus Friendly Future Foundation for generously sponsoring today's episode. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to the Blood Cancer Experience podcast series by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. If you have a great idea for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your comments or suggestions at canadainfo at lls.org. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada is dedicated to funding cutting-edge research and supporting people affected by blood cancers. To learn more and access resources, including fact sheets, booklets, and webcasts, visit bloodcancers.ca.